0: Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly... Grow a f***ing pair. Podcast exclusively about Utah Jazz basketball. I hate this history class. From two of the most... Emotionally unstable... Guys in the business. And now, here are your hosts, Jason Walker and Trey Sanders. Welcome, jazz fans, to Hashtag Jazz once again. Um... Again, I, I keep forgetting how to introduce these because maybe I should just take out the intro or change it because it stole my thunder. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we, a couple of weeks ago, we were about to hit the panic button. I was—I had one hand on the panic button, and uh, I, I kind of talked myself away from it, and the Jazz played a little bit better. They got a couple of wins, or I guess the win over Boston, that's really it. And then the, the decent game in, in Philadelphia... But just these Don't last few games Memphis was that oh, I can't remember if it was like after our our podcast. Um, yeah i I just can't remember exactly when we had all these discussions, but I mean, in the last few games, the jazz have just been absolutely terrible. Um, it's not so much the losses. I can handle losses for the most part. I mean, if they stack up, then I'm going to be upset, obviously. But, I mean, they've got two wins in their last ten games, I think, if I'm adding these up right. And one of them's against the Kings, and one of them's against the flailing Celtics, who are also mysteriously having trouble.
1: Um. Uh, four, yeah, four wins in the last ten.
0: Yeah. Is it four? Wait. Oh yeah, I'm just completely counting wrong. Yeah, I I added like eight, yeah. so so yeah, there's that, there's two more. So I guess two wins in the last eight. We'll shorten it just to fit my my pessimistic narrative here. Um. <laughs> but a lot of these losses are just. I mean, two of them were to the Pacers by like twenty plus points, almost thirty. One twenty-one to eighty-eight, which was the second worst home loss I think in history. I think I saw uh, somebody bring up. I mean, this year we have the worst loss in forever uh, to the Mavericks, and just mm-hmm. so many different things. Like they're just bad losses. I mean, we've broken a hundred points. What, twice? Yeah, in that, let's see, since since that win over the Celtics, 123-115, we have one, two, three games where we've scored over 100 points, and most of those we haven't scored over 90. So the offense is being horrible, and the defense is selective. We've got several games where we're holding teams to 90-ish points. But even then, we're not necessarily winning those games. We lost to the Lakers and we held them to 90. Um, so, it, again, it's not so much the losses that are bothering me. It's the way this team is playing. The way they're just – they're not giving the effort. They're not as confident as they used to be. The offense isn't as smooth. And the defense, and we've had several discussions about this already – Kind of the way the NBA is going is kind of taking it's, it's making it harder to be an elite defensive team or at least an elite defensive team where you get a significant amount of your winning from your defense. Um, so the defensive identity is kind of being nullified one by the NBA and two by the fact they're just not playing good enough defense anyway. So that's not helping matters. Um, so anyway, what are your thoughts, Trey? I've already gone on my rant today.
1: Oh, I honestly, I don't have any answer. Uh, I I mean, I don't think they do either. I I just, it's so painful to watch. I mean, I remember, I I remember I, I I text my brother-in-law during the Dallas game and I was like, this is the worst basketball I have ever seen in my life. Um, I, we've got these games where, yeah, it's like some days it's like, oh yeah, we know exactly what to do. Let's just go beat him up i mean this is oh my god it's mirroring last week uh what when is this team going to figure out what the hell they're trying to do i mean we had that we had that game that favors sat out against sacramento the first time that quinn snyder has actually like made the decision to switch up the the starting lineup and putting jay crowder into the power forward and it benefited us and favors was awesome in that game he was awesome and he, he himself has awesome individual performances when he is not on the court with Rudy, uh, with Rudy I, I don't know there's i i can't i don't even know if it's an identity crisis anymore i just think it's a mental uh meltdown from everybody because it's like uh i can I, I i wish i knew where it was but uh it was joe Ingalls was interviewed last night and he's like we know exactly what to do in practice and we, we execute everything we need to in practice. But when it comes game time, it's just like brains go turn off or something. Uh, I, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah. And, and that's just another part of this, this frustration is that they don't know what to do because last year, and I, I'm I'm looking, I've been looking at this year versus last year for a couple of different reasons. And I mean, you look at last year, you could think, well, this team is new, like, isn't there were a lot of new players. Donovan Mitchell, we didn't even know he was good at the beginning of last season until, you know, a few games in and he started to kind of break out. I mean, he didn't have his breakout game against the Lakers until, like, was it like late November? Which I guess is now. We're in late November, as I'm just figuring out. Let's see, when was that game against the Lakers? Oh, it was like six games in. Okay, so it's a lot earlier than I thought, but I mean he wasn't—he didn't really start averaging in the, you know, high teens and twenties until, until November, really. So I mean the early struggles could be attributed to, you know, Ricky Rubio struggling, Donovan Mitchell struggling, um, and then Rudy Gobert was out for a little bit, so. There are all these different things that we could point to and say, hey, you know, this kind of isn't there. We can get things going, but, you know, it, it's something that could take time. With this team, we're thinking, what the heck do we do? This is the almost the exact same team, almost the exact same players, almost the exact same rotation. And there's just, what the heck's going on?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I, I even like, uh, I was listening to the post game on uh, Jazz Sport, uh, the Jazz post game show on the radio last night, and they finally uh, admitted it's probably time for the Jazz to do a mix up. And we were talking about this last week. It's just like, now you guys are realizing this? I mean, after we lost by 50 to Dallas, um, the loss to Philadelphia, I can forgive because they fought hard. That was a good game. Um, But, I mean,. My gosh, it's got to be it's got to come down to something internally, whether they flip it on mentally and just really like hold each other accountable on both ends of the floor um, or there's trades. I, I mean, honestly, there's got to be some kind of mix up. And it's funny. We were talking about the uh, all the players from the Washington uh, Wizards becoming available. All of a sudden they're turning it around. You know, like their GM is just like, you know what? Everyone's up. No, everyone's job is on the line right now, and everyone's like, oh, maybe we should start playing.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. If, if the, if maybe it's not just the Wizards. Like obviously, we we look to them. Maybe they, those guys aren't available, but trades I think might be the best way to fix something. I mean, the starting lineup change where they went to Crowder. I think that was a good start. I mean, they. Some reason went back on it, but that's a good start. Changes have to be made. Yeah, and because you're the Jazz are running out of excuses. The favorite excuse of a lot of guys. I mean, you look at Jazz media and Jazz media. Granted, I've not really followed other teams, so I don't know how other media treat all this. But Jazz media, as I've seen it, is the the worst, at not admitting when things are wrong, they defend the team completely. And I can kind of get this because I've been on a beat before, and I know how you can kind of get sucked in. You kind of believe all the the coach speaking things like that of you know the we'll turn around and we're doing these things and things will fix themselves. But there's just so many things that are wrong that you can't just explain them by oh the schedule's hard. Which, which it, it's the favorite thing they're talking about, and they're, when they say the schedule is hard, they're not wrong. That's the thing I point out. The Jazz, according to ESPN, has the hardest strength of schedule so far, um, and they're a ten, technically, according to this metric, they're actually winning more than they should be. Their expected win losses eight and thirteen were nine and twelve, so I guess technically they're overachieving. Uh, by win loss, but again, as, as I said before, this isn't about the wins and losses. It's about the fact that you're losing by 50 to Dallas, not the Warriors, not the Raptors, not the Bucks, or you know whoever else is good so far this year that I'm not thinking of. It was the Mavericks, and where are the no. Mavericks in the standings? They're 10th. They're nine and nine. We're not. With three losses,
1: still better than us.
0: It's better than us by three losses. For some reason, we've played three more games than Dallas so far. It doesn't make sense, but I mean, when you look at this year compared to last year, last year through twenty-one games, we were ten and eleven. This year, we're nine and twelve, so only one loss behind them. But you look at the point differential. Last year, in that space, we had a positive point differential. We were plus forty-seven, despite being ten and eleven. That was with all the You know, all the things I mentioned, the integrating Ricky Rubio and every all the other six players that we added from last year and we're trying to plug into our rotation. And with Rudy Gobert being out for like six of those first 21 games, I I forgot the number I counted. It was like six or seven games because he went out after he went out from the 13th game until the 23rd game. So like eight games, actually, I think almost if I again, if that's only if I'm doing math wrong. So he was missing for eight of the first 21 games. And the Jazz still managed to go 10 and 11. Can you imagine if this team missed Rudy Gobert for eight games so far this season? Like, how many wins would we have? Like, three or four? Like, like, I don't know. So, and we did play an easier schedule kind of at the beginning of last year. There were a lot more easier teams. But again, this year, I didn't mention the point differential for this year. Let's see. This year we are negative 71, which is good for something per game. It's like two per game. 3.4 per game. Negative three and a half a game, basically. So we're drastically worse than last year. We're second to last in the West, which isn't the worst thing cuz we're actually only like two games out of 8, one and a half. So it's yeah. not like it's not like we're buried. It's not like Phoenix who are 4 and 15 who are just way out of it already. But in a in a conference that's this tough, where all but one team in the West have at least 9 wins, you can't go 9 and 12, and I know again it's it's a tough schedule, but good teams win. Against tough schedules that that's the thing that, that I'm trying to that you try to explain to you know the beat writers people who bring up the the tough schedule arguments yes, this is a tough schedule, but this is a team that we said was going to be second in the West or at least you know I was kind of on that bandwagon. They could be second in the West. They are the literal opposite of that right now.
1: Second to last,
0: yeah, yeah <laughs> so. Tough schedule doesn't explain that. It explains maybe being 7th or 8th. Yeah, they're playing a tough schedule. They're only like 13, no, actually 13 and whatever would put them in like 3rd. But, you know, maybe if they were 10 and 10, 11 and 9, you know, something something in that range. And, you know, they had a couple of tough losses. You know, they're not quite overcoming you know, Pacers are still a good team, but instead of losing by thirty both times, they lost by you know five or six. Couple of tough losses, you know. But tough schedule doesn't explain just how supremely bad the Jazz are right now in so many different ways.
1: No, it's not. I mean, for me, it's another excuse. You're you're playing in the NBA. You're the same team that you were last year. You don't have the devastation writing on your back that we lost our star, our star player, and now we have to, you know, rely on each other to get these wins. And we got a, we got a, an amazing acquisition in Donovan Mitchell. And let's ride this out. Let's get him developed. And you know, let's get our habits here. Let's get our habits there. And then you know, we're gonna have tough schedules. But yeah, I mean, even last year, I don't think we won. I don't think we lost ever by like. Fifty points I, I never um I, I don't get it I found that I found the quote by the way uh it's, it's just it doesn't make any sense at all like we talked about last week I don't know if it's they are just too like too much of a brotherly love type thing we're like oh you know you shouldn't have done that but it's fine it's fine but I love what I love what Joe Ingle said. He's just like we can't wait around until we're nineteen and whatever the hell we were last year to decide to wake up and start playing. It's true. I mean, like he's being like sarcastic and a little bit of a, a little bit of a realist at the same sense, sentence there. And I got this from Salt Lake Tribune. I, didn't, I forgot I need to cite that. But um, I mean, yeah, it's like, maybe, do we have to wait that long for them to just be like, oh? Maybe we should start, you know, actually caring. And I do think it also has a lot to do with the freedom of movement. i'm I'm really starting to not not that I was ever a fan of it to begin with, but the freedom of movement thing is really detrimental to defenses. I mean, you give you are giving the adv- advantage to the offense more than ever. I understand that, you know if if a guy is setting a screen and he's rolling to the basket, it's not a good idea to grab him. That's fine but you can't touch him at all. I mean, and this is affecting Rudy Gobert in wholeheartedly. Favors, Jay Crowder, I mean, you basically have to foul. And we've got uh, Indiana Pacers reaching in everywhere and getting these steals. And I, I'm not trying to say that it's like a, a bad officiating. There's plenty of bad officiating in the NBA. It's not just happening to the Jazz. But how is it that these other teams could do all these other things And the Jazz don't seem to understand that. There was a play that Indiana ran, I'm not kidding you, six times in a row with uh, Miles Turner where, um, and I I can't remember if it was Collison or whoever, but the point guard would get uh, Gobert or Favors to collapse on him. He would pass it out to the elbow on that pick, and Miles Turner was open, and nobody approached him. Um, You know, Quinn Snyder's great at, Uh, planning for these games where was the planning there indiana shoots more mid-range shots than any team in the nba i'm I'm sorry like i just i don't understand it i i'm I'm going off on a rant here but it's just ridiculous
0: i think maybe it's just the jazz look to force mid-range shots their defense is the thing is their defense i don't feel like they look specifically or at least they don't tend to force tons of turnovers they don't get tons of blocks they don't get tons of steals at least that's just a passing observation i could be wrong in any any of those categories but just the the impression i get is their defense is meant to force bad shots more so than to end possessions with things that show up on the stat sheet
1: sure but it's not working
0: yeah it's not working and part of it is just it's the freedom of movement it's the things that they were doing last year that don't work this year because of you know freedom of movement or execution's not working, different things. So I I think maybe it's just their style of defense has become a little obsolete. That and maybe teams have figured it out, uh, or they're just making shots more often. But I think there's a lot of different reasons, but maybe it's not so much that the Jazz are just playing the, the defense just isn't working in the NBA. It's just the NBA made Utah's brand of defense obsolete. Perhaps not on purpose. Um, That wouldn't surprise me, but uh, maybe just kind of incidentally in the NBA and really every sporting league's quest to make offense, you know, happen more and to get more points, more offense to draw the fans, you know, the Jazz would become victims of that. Kind of like the Steelers in the 70s and 80s. You know, the league specifically, you know, changed the league to benefit offenses more, which are the Steelers. Um, and I, maybe the Jazz was the victim here. They tried to build a a defensive super team, and then the league just stopped it.
1: I just it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. Like I understand that the whole point of the game is to put the ball in the hoop, but at the same time, you can't not take away a defense. You have to let the defense be able to play defense. I feel like half the time you breathe on someone and they get it's just a foul. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. But that... Turning them, it's turning these players into prima donnas. I mean, not that the players never went over to the refs and acted like, "Oh, I, what, what I do? I didn't do anything." It's even worse now.
0: Well, you you combine that with the fact that something I've said repeatedly is that the NBA refs are the worst refs of any professional sport, um, and yeah, it's the, the way the NBA works because it's just. So so many different things. I mean, Dante Exum on the Jazz, like there isn't a referee out there who understands that. Yeah, Dante Exum is that quick. He was actually in front of that player, and you decided to call a block on him anyway. Uh, it's there's just. I mean, Dante Exum practically got elbowed in the face, and right,
1: and it was and, on him.
0: Yeah, it was on him because you know it's James Harden, and and not only did they call a foul, the NBA referee Twitter account defended the call. Even though you watch, there's actually not contact until James Harden elbowed Dante Exum in the face. Um, and you could see that. But because they just say it looks like they're kind of his contact, but it's because Dante Exum was quick enough to stay in front of him and did his job perfectly well. But because the NBA officials is like, oh yeah, he's kind of looks like he's touching him. And yeah, it's, uh, you know, ex-superstar or, you know, this player, there. They got fouled. It's an anticipation whistle.
1: I'd punch him straight in the face.
0: <laughs> the referee or James Harden?
1: Well, either one. I don't know. Whoever's there.
0: <laughs> All right. Um. So I want to talk specifically about uh. Jay Crowder in the starting lineup. Um, and I know you you brought it up already. Um. But how, do you think that would make any a significant difference if from now on Jay Crotter's in the starting lineup when healthy. And you think, yes. Okay. Why why do you, you, that that was a little short answer in in the words of every uh, school worksheet I had explain. Um
1: the spacing isn't working between he uh favors and rudy it's just not they those two cannot and i know favors has said you know before the season started that they can coexist it's not no it's not possible it's just not a thing you guys are great defensively maybe but offensively no because both of you need to occupy the paint both of you do I, I know that uh, favors can stretch the floor a little bit more than Rudy. I mean, Rudy is exclusively in the paint. That's where he is all the time. Um, it's just not working. You, you, you take you take favors out of the starting lineup and you sit, insert Jay Crowder in there. Your defense just got that much better because he's not trying to occupy the same exact space that Rudy Gobert is trying to occupy. And then favors by himself is it better at the five coming in for Rudy to alleviate his duties. We've seen this over and over and I don't even know, like, the last five games. He's much better when he doesn't have someone to take up that space.
0: Yeah, I've, I've always felt Derek Favors, when you're looking on the offensive end specifically, his, his best is, again, at the five. And it's also when they're running the pick-and-roll with him. When, and oh, if my there's, gosh. Yeah. Like, he's one of the best pick-and-roll guys, the best roll man that I've seen. He can just go over and over and over again. And Jazz have, like, four or five people that can run the point on a pick-and-roll. So, you know, whether it's the starting lineup or the bench, or, or mostly starters or the bench, if they're running that with him, and if you're running with, you know, maybe in a bench lineup, uh, I don't know who would be playing at the four on the bench besides Crowder. I don't know, just anybody. Maybe Crowder's on the floor anyway. If Rudy Gobert's not on the floor clogging up the painter, you know, even if Rudy is standing, if he's, like, sitting on the bench, you know, <laughs> When he's supposed to be on the floor, the his defender is still going to be in the paint basically because he knows that Rudy Gobert is just not a threat anywhere outside of the paint. So like if the if the space around the rim isn't you know clogged, Derek Favors can be an absolute beast on the offensive end. He can put up twenty points in a game, and he's even got some post moves that he can do. So yeah. he'd be better playing off the bench because he's not playing next to Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert would play better because the lane isn't clogged. And then I think most of the perimeter players would be better. Because you look at Donovan Mitchell, he's best when he's going to the rim. He's got something of an outside shot. That's still a work in progress for him. Um, but he's at his best when he's aggressive going to the rim. But if he's playing with Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert, you know, then suddenly there's six people in the paint. And that just doesn't end well.
1: Well, and it doesn't just stop with Donovan either. Everybody, when those when that team is attacking, they are almost unstoppable. I mean, the, the Sacramento game—they were attacking over and over and over again. Well, I think they got like sixty some odd points in the paint that game. I mean, it works. You got Alec Burks, who's a slasher. You've got Donovan De- uh, Mitchell, who's best going to the rim. You, nobody can stop Derek Favors on the pick and roll. He's just a beast. It's like, you know, it's like you're trying to stop LeBron when he has a full head of steam on a fast break. You're not stopping him. Like he's getting to the rim. Th- there's power there. When you get into the anybody who when you have more space to get into the lane, you don't have two bodies occupying that same space. It's a lot easier for everybody else to get in there.
0: Yeah, and and, and one thing I when I'm thinking of this, I think of Utah State basketball team, and I've been kind of covering them. But when you look at them, they're not a good shooting team. They've got like two shooters on the team. But they put their, their shooters out there. You know, it's, it's, it's the lineups. And the coach is very into lineups. He's, he's you know, said this about himself is that he really pays attention to lineups. And you look, he's only playing one big in the rotation at a time. And part of this is the roster, but, I mean, he's got two or three bigs on the team. He doesn't just play them at the same time. And even though, like, none of the point guards can really shoot very well, and several of the forwards have struggled this year, they get to the lane, and they attack the lane. That's their thing. They shoot layups. They shoot close shots. They shoot in the paint. They outscore all their opponents in the paint, except for, like, one this year. They've played six games, and they've outscored all of them in the paint, except for, again, I think it was just one. So even though their thing is getting into the paint, because they choose their lineups carefully and they play them at the right times, they use their shooters that they have well enough that teams still aren't going to stop them from getting into the paint and shooting effectively. And that's something I think the Jazz really need to try and do is manage their lineups, one of which is, you know, not playing Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert for significant amounts of time.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I mean Rubio even uh, benefits from that because he's much better shooting a mid-range shot than he is long-range, And especially within that like fifteen, maybe fourteen-foot area inside like the painted area and kind of outside on the elbow area. He's really good in there, and when he doesn't, and when he has to worry about not just favors but Rudy, it it kind of it just stops him in his tracks. He doesn't know what to do at that point. Yeah, it's, just it's just kind of go down the list. I mean, how, when did I love Quinn Snyder? But he needs to take some chances. If not, if anything, just sit down with favors and be like, "Look, you are very instrumental to the success of this team, but we need you coming off of the bench because your um, your presence and your abilities are far better when you don't have to worry about Rudy being there." Just admit it. Admit to admit to him. Admit to yourself. Admit to the team. Admit to the fans. The, the favors and Rudy combo is not going to work anymore
0: yeah it, it can't work in this modern NBA and that's again that's no. why I think I think both of us have said over and over if favors were to go it would be better for him at least I've said that I can't remember if, if you said that but and and like you said the, the lineup just doesn't work it can't work if Derek favors learned to shoot threes sure but even then just because he shoots threes, doesn't mean that teams are going to play him like a shooter. They play Derek Favors differently than they will Jay Crowder. Because even if Derek Favors could shoot 33% from three, which would be awesome, his bread and butter is the pick and roll and in the paint. So just saying, well, Derek Favors will be able to shoot one day, that's not going to change who he is. So, yeah, he he needs to go to the bench. And I, I think, like you said, just Derek Favors... And he's the ultimate team guy, I think. He's the he's the guy who will bring his lunch pill to work every day and will give it his all no matter what role he's in. And, I, and maybe he's got a bit of an ego and doesn't want to go to the bench after being a starter for three or four years. But it would be the best for the team. And if he doesn't like that, then let's get him in a spot where he's going to be happy. Because that, that's one thing that, as much as I talk about Derek Favors leaving, I want what's best for him. He's one of the few players that I will truly root for if he's not on the jazz. Because he deserves it.
1: Yeah, but I don't I don't know if trading Derek Favors is the answer. I mean we need him as backup because look at Epe Udo. He claims he's the best he's one of the best defenders in the world. Oh really? What well, I haven't seen any of that this year. I mean, uh, our backup center is basically useless at this point. Why not have I mean, why not have a prolific center? in at every moment of the game you have Rudy Gobert go out and you have favors come in you have favors go out and you have Rudy come back in I mean it's interchangeability I mean obviously if either of them get injured sure we're gonna have you know Epe's gonna have to come in and do some business but at the same time like uh, I don't know I, it's, it's due for a shakeup at the very least start there and then let's see what a trade scenario can look like
0: yeah, and we got a taste of a shakeup because uh, Jay Crowder did come in, played against Sacramento. The Jazz won by you know, 21 points, and then Derek Favors comes back and they lose. I don't necessarily think those two are related because the, the fact of the matter is Jay Crowder is averaging more minutes than Derek Favors to begin with, um, if I'm remembering everything correctly. In fact, let's see. The five-man lineup of Mitchell, Rubio, Ingles, Gobert, and Crowder has actually played more. It's got more minutes than the starting lineup um, of, you know, all the same except for Derek Favors in. But also the thing you should keep in mind with these two um, lineups, the J. Crowder lineup is plus 9.7 per 100 possessions. The regular starting lineup is plus 0. 0.1. So hmm. that's, that's a nearly 10-point difference
1: in yeah, starting lineups stark.
0: per 100 possessions. And it's just you, know, <laughs> you need to try that. And again, a lot of it comes down to spacing. Um, maybe there's a bit of defense there, you know, being able to match up on smaller teams. But it's just there needs to be changes. That's that's the ultimate thing. Um, another thing. So with Donovan Mitchell being out, um, do you think that's made any difference in some of these these games?
1: I don't think so. I mean, we had Donovan for every Sacramento Kings game, and we lost those.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we win by by 21 points.
1: You know, I mean, if, if your star goes out, I mean, same thing with Indiana. The two times we played Indiana, they've been without Victor Oladipo, and what happened? Nothing. They were still as dominant. I mean, they beat us by 27, and then 30 last night, or whatever it was. I mean if your star player goes out, that should motivate everybody else to do better.
0: Yeah. I think with a team who bragged about depth and being able to go 12 guys deep, you'd think you'd be able to withstand losing your best player, second best player, depending on who you ask. Well, definitely, definitely second best this year with how Rudy Gobert has been playing.
1: Seriously. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that we can't figure out. And there's the careful, the careful PR speak throughout the whole organization and I think it's even trickled down to the players. I mean, they're buying into this PR speak nonsense. I mean, I it it's there's something going on, and I feel like it's something we're probably never going to figure out until maybe a trade happens. Honestly,
0: no, because the thing is that the front office is always tight lipped. They'll they'll never say anything. When you look at the the Ty Corbin years, that was one of the if you were a fan an honest fan that was one of the worst times ever to be a jazz fan not because they were horrible i mean they had what one truly bad year it was the fact that the front office the media and everybody who had anything related to do with the jazz in an official sense they were just constantly defending every decision the team made and again i've I've been open about the fact that I've agreed with pretty much everything Dennis Lindsay has done. Um, and most of the, pretty much everything Quinn Snyder has done for the most part. But this is where I'm starting to disagree. And you know, the moment I feel like I'm disagreeing, it's almost like I'm being attacked. And it's like apparently you can't criticize the jazz. Um Because everyone just defends everything that the front office does. Um, But again, I've said this before. I don't agree. You know, I've agreed for the most part. But you know, right now, I feel like there needs to be changes. And now that everything's not sunshine, butterflies, and kittens, the front office is trying really hard to hit you know hit the PR, hit the PR. uh, you know. Do some good PR to try and get get something going cuz their team isn't doing well so they're just trying to manufacture excitement for the fans when there's nothing there.
1: Yeah, they're just preaching hope and patience and hard work and we're dedicated to the team. I understand that. You guys are paying these guys as, you know, whatever. You're giving them money. But you also Owe it to yourselves to kind of be a little more honest with yourselves. owe your fans, a little bit of transparency. I don't know what it is like in other organizations. I I truly don't. So I can't speak for them, but I find it hard to imagine. I mean, we've got Greg Popovich in San Antonio who holds no nothing back. I mean, he pulled its whole starting lineup out the other night because they just plain sucked. That's like, that was awesome because that's just who Greg Popovich is. Um, I mean, they've Toronto fired Dwayne Casey after a 60 plus win season and getting blown out in the playoffs or swept in the playoffs, I should say. I mean, it's just like, the, the, I, I understand the calculation, but at the same time, like, don't be afraid to take some chances. It's okay.
0: Yeah. And I think that if anything, that's kind of been maybe kind of the downfall of the jazz that they're. They're too conservative. Um, That's just kind of been what they do. And they've stumbled into being good a couple of times. You know, with Rudy Gobert and with Donovan Mitchell. So now that it's not working, then they don't know what to do. Um, But they do need to go out and kind of take some chances. Because everything they've done to this point has just been conservative. At least since I've been following. I've not followed the Jazz you know, since like the late nineties and all that. I've really only been a close following fan since about two thousand and ten. So like basically the start of the Ty Corbin era. So mm. I don't have this long history of, you know, knowing what's what's going on. I don't know there've been some chance now. I think they traded for Al Jefferson and all that, so there's a few things they've done. But I mean especially in the in the Dennis Lindsay era. They've been conservative. This don't skip steps. But as I've said before, the hardest step to take in terms of building a championship team is the stage from media, kind of that you know, four to five seed, sometimes even two or three seed, that close but not quite to the definite championship contender. That's easily the hardest step because um, that's, you know, that's where so many different things can go wrong. That's when teams start overpaying. You know, The Rockets tried to make that jump, and they kind of did You know, when they, they bring in Chris Paul. That was them trying to go from good to really great, an actual championship contender. The Raptors are trying to make that jump by bringing in Kawhi Leonard, and so far it seems to be working all right. The Jazz were at that stage where maybe they could make a jump, maybe make a trade or a signing or something like that. And instead of trying to do something to make that jump they just kind of stayed where they were and expected to get better. But you don't make the jump from okay to super on accident. It never happens on accident. Um, I mean the closest you can say to it happening on accident is the Miami Heat signing LeBron James and Chris Bosh. But even that didn't happen by accident.
1: No, well, I mean that required a Ton of money.
0: Yeah, it required you bear know, on Chris Bosch. Chris Bosch wasn't really near the player, at least in terms of statistical production that he was in Miami, but you know, it was still at risk. They overpaid him a little bit. Um but the Jazz are unwilling to overpay really anybody. I mean they they kinda overpaid I think on Dante exum which side note, I'm I'm starting to fall off the Dante Exum train. Um yeah. Well, you I'm, should. I'm, I'm getting I'm getting worried. <laughs> My Dante Exum Homerism is is fading off as he continues to not fulfill what I was hoping he'd do. So
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean Dante Exum is wholeheartedly overpaid. It was not a good decision. I mean signing him again was, but paying him as much as they did was not. Um because at the end of the day, Dante's Still doesn't have a pull-up jumper. He's strictly driving, and I, he shoots sometimes, but most of the time you can count on that shot missing. Uh, um, I, I don't really know. I mean, Donovan needs help. Donovan's going to need help. You can't rely on just Donovan alone to put points on the board when you need it. And even at the times that he does put points on the board, sometimes it's still not enough because the rest of the team isn't on board for the ride. Uh, I mean, um, it's just one player after another. We have Ricky Rubio go off. We have Jay Crowder go off. We have Derek Favors go off. We have Rudy Gobert go off. They're never happening at the same time. It's one person one night, another person the next night.
0: Yeah, and, And the thing is, that's just always going to happen by default. And that's not a championship formula. The championship formula is when you have multiple players who can go off the same night consistently. It's the, you know, I call it the, the unstoppability or, you know, maybe the unstoppability factor, which is what super, superstars have. You know exactly what Kevin Durant's going to do. You know exactly what LeBron James is going to do. What are you going to do to stop him? Exactly. Yeah, you, you don't. So that's that's the unstoppability. And you, you know what these guys are going to do, and you can't stop them. Teams know what the Jazz are going to do, and they stop them. That's the problem. Well, it's not
1: even... Yeah, well, I don't even think it's really that the teams are stopping them. I think that they are stopping themselves. They are beating themselves. I mean, it was five turnovers in literally, like, what? The first five minutes of the game? Or something like... I think it was even shorter time span than that last night. It was just insane. I was listening to it on my way to my girlfriend's house. And I'm just like, wow, another turnover. Wow, another turnover.
0: It's going to stop being wow now. It's just going to be like, oh, yeah, another turnover. That that's Yeah. <laughs> Have turnovers more often than shots sometimes. Which, you know, last year turnovers were somewhat of a problem. But the team was, you know, it always feels like turnovers are a problem. But the Jazz were super efficient, and they were able to get their shots off. Now they're just not getting their shots off, and they're committing turnovers. And they're not getting good shots off. So um, I guess we're, we're starting to hit a lot of what we hit on last episode. So we're probably going to wrap this up because really there's, there's nothing else for us to really talk about at this point. You know, we, we know that the Jazz need to make changes. You know, there's all different kinds of changes they can make. There's starting lineup changes. There's roster changes they can make. Um, but the, the bottom line, the thing we obviously both agree on, is that change needs to happen we can't be doing the same thing over and over and expecting something else. You know, that's a cliche in and of itself, you know, the, the definition of insanity and whatnot. So we, we, we can't expect that what happened last year is going to happen again. I'm just going to come out and say this. It's not going to happen again. I actually do think the jazz will go on a late season run where they have a winning record because the schedule will get easier, but that honestly might be the worst thing to happen for this team is if they do go on a run like that because it will pump false hope into a team that has to change. And and I'm, I'm the kind of qualifier with this is if they don't make changes. You know, if, if the team doesn't make a change and they go on a solid late season run, maybe come close to making the playoffs, that would be bad for this team. Um, and I don't know if you agree with that or not, Trey. it's just, I, I think this team needs to make changes because this team as constructed right now. And I think we all knew this coming into the season, but the team is constructed right now, cannot win a championship and cannot even be a playoff contender.
1: Well, the way they're playing. Yeah. And so, I mean, if I, if I, if I think I'm picking up on what you're saying is right, like having that late season run is going to kind of be detrimental in the sense that going into the off season, they'll have the same kind of feeling going into the next year of just like they're, they're hyped. Their expectations are super high And then they're just, when they play, they're expecting to win. Is that what, is that kind of what I'm taking from this? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, No, that makes total sense. That makes total sense. That's what happened this year. I mean, the media was talking and touting this team, like this team is going to be great. They're going to be top two in the West and you better watch out for the jazz. I mean, hell yeah. Last year it was like, nobody wants to play this team right now. And it was rightfully so they were doing awesome. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there. Um, it's going to be bad for them moving into the off season especially because they're going to come back to the oh well it's continuity again just going oh, to carry over into the next season we'll be fine uh, yeah it's working real good so far
0: yeah continuity uh, just i said this before and i wrote a long form piece for slc dunk on that's my thoughts on continuity. With, cause, and again, like I said, and I've said this before, I think on the podcast, I agreed with it at the time, but hindsight's twenty, 20 let's not do this again. You know? Right. It seemed like a good idea at the time. We realize it's wrong now. I don't really blame Dennis Lindsay for it, okay? And that's one of the things I want to say. I'm not saying Dennis Lindsay is a terrible GM or that Quinn Steiner's is a bad coach or that all these players on the team are bad. It's just, it's not working. So let's not just bang our heads against a wall and keep doing it. Let's change. When you make mistakes, mm-hmm. you don't just keep doing them. You learn from them. and And that's, that, that's that's about all I want to say at this point. Uh, so. Yeah, well, and,
1: I mean, even still, I mean, I, I I don't want to extend this any further than we already have, but I mean, we're reaching the point. I mean, this is like deja vu almost. I mean, we're kind of in the same position we were last year. We're healthy, so that's a little bit different. But I mean, look at December coming up, man. It's not getting any easier. <laughs> like. Start with Miami, San Antonio, Houston, San Antonio, the Thunder, Miami, Orlando, who actually is playing really well this year. Uh, Houston again, Golden State, Portland, Thunder, Portland, Philly, Knicks. That's December. Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) 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 I'm going to be at that Christmas game, and I better get a jazz win out of that. I swear to God.
0: I hope we do. Portland's playing real well, though. They're, what, third in the West right now? Yeah. some up there. They're higher than I thought they'd be.
1: Christ, and that's a nationally televised game, too, so we could have a really, really good game, or we could just be embarrassed again.
0: If we lose by 50, then I'm just...
1: I'm, I'll, I'll turn the rest of the season off, man, honestly. <laughs> we'll, I will stop the podcast. You'll do it on your own. I don't care.
0: Oh, man. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, luckily they have, they've only lost by 50, like once ever. So chances are pretty good, but this team, I don't know. I might have to start looking for a new co-host.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll see.
0: All right. Well, thanks again so much for listening. I know the, the season hasn't been going well, but we're getting through it and we're here for you. We understand. Am I? going to check my
1: blood pressure some of these nights. I tell you what.
0: <laughs> well, we'll all survive Technically um but in, until next week hope, hopefully we're gonna get back on a normal uh posting schedule we've been doing this a little later in the week but that's my fault because um, i've been deciding to travel on the weekends the last couple of weeks um and you
1: need to be putting your studies before play i'm just I mean, kidding
0: <laughs> well one of those thanksgiving weekends so, i mean come on Um, no
1: i i don't i don't blame you i mean it is what it is you if you have things to do then you do it's whatever
0: well the thing to do two weeks ago was go to a college football game so you know
1: yeah but you were in one of my favorite cities so
0: uh fort collins yes sir oh did not know that well learn something new every day all right beer all right have a good day everybody and hopefully the jazz do better (laughs)
1: We'll see.